Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Welcome to the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast. Trevor Anderson here, chart manager at Billboard, and joined as always by my seasoned colleague Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. Yep. Se- seasoned? Yeah, I-, I think I think seasoned is an appropriate word. Look, there are a lot of words out there that would apply to you, Gary. I think seasoned. We'll take seasoned in particular because seasoned is the name of the game this week when we're talking holiday charts. Yeah. The Holiday 100 is back in action. We went up to the old chart attic, dusted it off, brought it back down, or setting it up, keeping the kids and the dog away from it, and we have it nice, ready, and uh, with Mariah Carey on top. Uh, no surprise there. Ready for you for the 2018 edition. Yep, the Billboard Holiday 100 chart is back. Uh, we, we have lots of charts every week, but I feel like we really, really have lots of charts this week. Yeah, of course, in addition to your weekly dose of the regular Hot 100, we've also got the year's biggest hits for you. Scope of last December all the way to right before Thanksgiving. We have got 2018's biggest hits, so we'll run through those as well. Hope you're a fan of Drake because he will feature pretty prominently, as I'm sure everyone who's been watching the charts and listening to the show and existing in the world in 2018 probably already knows. Yeah, so we're going to talk that. We're also going to talk uh, more holiday music. We're going to bring in a couple of friends from Nielsen uh, and really get into why so many radio stations go all holiday music this time of year. Uh, maybe what new holiday songs you might be hearing going forward uh, more often uh, as streaming gets bigger. It's a new way of research that radio can use. So uh, in addition to all the classics, maybe going forward, there's going to be some uh, newer songs that will be part of holiday playlists uh, each year going forward. So uh, we'll get into that as well. All right, so uh, we've got this week, we've got this season, we've got this year. Let's get started uh, on the main action just in the past seven days. Here is this week's top ten of the Billboard Hot 100. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, 
number 10. I can't take back the love that I gave you. It's to the point why I love and I hate you. And I cannot change you, so I must replace you. Number 9. Number eight. Off this way, doing all these shows. I've been on the road, I don't care where I go. Long as I get paid, bad little fight. She been on my mind. Soon as I get back, she Number seven. Swatter turn Atlantic. Night calling in a phantom. Told them, hold it, don't you panic. Took an island, felt the mansion. Drop the roof, more expansion. Drive a coupe, you can stand it. Number six. Number five. Number four. Number three. Number two. And number one. I hit the epio with duffels in my hands. Ooh. I did half a zan, 13 hours till I land. Had me out like a light, like a light. And like a what light. do you know? There's a new number one in town on the Billboard Hot 100. That is Travis Scott's Sicko Mode. And it's a song that uh, previously it had four weeks at number two. People were eyeing it for a while ever since Astroworld came out. If that would be the song. That could get Travis to his very first career at number one on Hot 100. And check that off the list. It does. So, Sicko Mode uh, dethroning Ariana Grande's Thank You Next after uh, Ariana had spent three weeks on top. I'm sure everyone is very much aware that the odds of Ariana returning to number one next week are very, 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 very strong. Because the music video for Thank You Next came out last Friday. Somebody in the camp realized, I guess pretty smartly, that Friday is the beginning of the streaming tracking week. So all seven days of that video's activity are going to go into the chart next week. Um, if you haven't seen the clip by now, I mean, it's it's blown up. It broke Vivo and YouTube records for most views in 24 hours. You know, parodies, a lot of 2000s films that you know people know and love. Mean Girls, Legally Blonde, Bring It On. 13 going on 30 some of the actors from the films are actually in the video as well so just you know if you wanted a big pop culture kind of crossover music video this was definitely the one yeah so next week uh michael back to number one probably a good chance we haven't uh looked at all the data yet but uh broken uh, records on youtube and vivo for uh 24-hour streams for thank you next so seems like a pretty safe bet that uh, Ariana will go back uh, to number one next week. But uh, yeah, this week, Travis Scott is first number one. Uh, obviously, you hear Drake on the song. Skrillex, uh, the remix that he did, came out in the tracking week. So that gave it a boost uh, as well. Big gain in sales, uh, gain in streaming. Radio airplay is still uh, gaining uh, for sicko mode. So it all came together this week, uh, right before uh, we think uh, Ariana probably is going to go back to number one next week. But uh, yeah, not uh, entirely unprecedented that Drake and Skrillex wouldn't be credited on a number one hit. We've had uh, number ones in the past where uh, it's pretty obvious that uh, other acts were on there but didn't receive official credit. Uh, it seems like it was more 
of a thing back in the 90s and 80s, uh, even even in the 90s. I was uh, thinking back to uh, Take a Bow by Madonna with Babyface singing on there. Mariah Carey, we're talking about her last week on the podcast uh, a lot. Uh, Trey Lorenz on I'll Be There. That's it's kind of a duet, basically. But in the past, uh, contracts maybe weren't as... Uh, intense as they are now and it was more common for people just to kind of uh, hang out on songs that uh, provide uh, different uh, guest uh, talents uh, it's really case by case it can uh, just be uh, really song by song whether an artist maybe has the legal right to be credited on a song so i can never really make a, a blanket statement about it other than uh, just nowadays we've talked to writers and producers and we've heard that uh, if you if you write one line to a song now you're going to be credited one way or another in the past that just wasn't the case so Drake technically may not be number one on the Hot 100 this week, but somewhere where he is number one is this year's Hot 100. The song God's Plan is the number one Hot 100 song of the year, which goes nicely with Drake being the number one artist of the year, which, I mean, as we've talked so many times, you know, I feel like a broken record, you could almost just insert a clip from any other week on this show, the massive year he had with Scorpion, breaking the record for most weeks at number one on the Hot 100 by any artist in a calendar year. And as Drake finishes as the top artist of the year, he's actually only the third rap artist to ever get the year in number one spot. Uh, back in 2003 and 2005, 50 Cent doubled up between uh, the, the success of his albums, Get Rich or Die Trying and The Massacre. And back in 2002, Nelly was the first person, if you remember how massive a year that was for him, with Hot and Her and Dilemma with Kelly Rowland. So Drake, really only the third artist to do that. And of course, back when Nelly and 50 Cent were doing it, that was really probably the last time we saw rap as ubiquitous as it has become in the past uh, few months. So really just goes to show once again that Hip-hop is king across all sectors. Yeah, we had that record uh, streak this year in the Hot 100, 34 straight weeks of rap songs being number one. And uh, actually, uh, rap is back at number one on the Hot 100 this week after 10 weeks of pop being number one for uh, Girls Like You, seven weeks for Maroon 5, and then uh, three weeks for Ariana. So, uh, yeah, after that record streak, pop had a decent run for 10 weeks, but uh, rap back at number one. And, yeah, absolutely, uh, rap's year all the way around 2018. Top new artist also goes to a rapper, Cardi B. Now people will say, wait a minute, what? How, you know, Yes, Bodak Yellow came out in 2017, was, was a big hit then. But because it came out so late in the year, it really um, didn't give her enough time to be considered for a new artist award. So with the success that she's had in 2018, all the singles we've seen, everything from I Like It to Finesse and her guest appearances, Motorsport, all that comes together and makes Cardi the top new artist of 2018. I mean, hip-hop is taking over not just in its own domain, but spreading out to pop, to Latin. It's just the flavor of the year. 
uh, not that pop was entirely missing in 2018. Uh, it, it was out there somewhere. You that, had to well, look for it. No, it but was you, could, number, you could find it. The number one album of the year is Reputation by Taylor. So some people might uh, might be surprised by that. They might have thought that uh, Drake had it all locked up with Scorpion. But uh, out from the beginning of the year, which helped uh, Taylor Swift a Reputation, getting more accumulative points over the year. But uh, yeah, we going back to the middle of the year, we, we did a podcast where... Delicate was just coming out. We weren't sure uh, how big that was going to be. Uh, turned out to really be, uh, I think, the single that saved the album. I think it you know, had that number one first single with Look What You Made Me Do, but uh, didn't really hang on in radio too long. Second and third singles it just weren't on the level of what Taylor had done before. It feels like Delicate came along, really just added uh, all the consumption points needed to uh, really help uh, Taylor reputation be number one for the year. Interesting. So much of that rollout, because I think, yeah, Delicate... You know, maybe it didn't win the war in terms of Hot 100, you know, being a number one or anything like that. But you're right. I think that definitely, like, got the album a second win that it needed to cross the finish line, uh, even though Drake Scorpion was was so massive when it was out in the summertime. Ed Sheeran also, we're talking about pop, doing really well. Perfect is the number two song of the year on the Hot 100, uh, just below God's Plan. Uh, kind of interesting when you break down uh, the metrics. God's Plan's number one in streaming for the year, but uh, perfect number one in airplay and sales. So it won, uh, won those two battles, but uh, God's Plan streaming numbers just so huge. Uh, Drake set the weekly streaming record uh, with In My Feelings later in the year. So uh, streaming is just uh, the metric that's really running everything this year. So being number one in streaming is enough to be number one in the year in Hot 100. Interesting how we have a sort of a number one, two parallel because Ed Sheeran was number one last year with Shape of You, and now he's number two this year with Perfect, which is actually the same thing that happened in 2016 and 17 when you had Justin Bieber number one in 2016 with Love Yourself and came in at number two behind Ed Sheeran last year with Despacito. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I guess we can expect Drake to be number two next year. Is that where this is headed? Who's number one next year? That's the whoever's number two in 2020. This is this is how it goes, you know? But uh, just just like an odd coincidence I found that I thought was kind of nifty. Yeah, talking about coincidences, uh, Pablo Nelson, one of our most insightful chart watchers, he wrote in, he noticed, God's Plan's number one on the year on Hot 100. Believer is number 100. So go from Believer to God's Plan from 100 to 1. You know, it's amazing what the chart community can come up with. Uh, uh, one more pop. Uh, we keep talking about uh, pop uh, angles. Uh, number one song of the year on the pop songs charts. Number 16 for the year on the Hot 100. Uh, Dua Lipa, New Rules, record-setting run on pop songs. Uh, 45 weeks on the chart, spent four weeks at number one. So, uh, yeah, maybe you didn't really notice it when you're looking at the year-end Hot 100 at number 16. Uh, most played song of the year on pop radio. So that is only a brief overview of all the charts that we have on Billboard.com right now. Everything ranging from the top overall categories through all of the genres. We've got country, rock, Latin, R&B, hip-hop, soundtracks, cast albums, whatever you want to find. It's out there. Um, So be sure to just go or play around Billboard.com. I mean, there's plenty of links there. And you should be able to find out really any category you want to know what was big this year. We've got it for you. So be sure to check that out. And uh, when you're done with that, you can go back uh, to this week's charts. The Billboard Holiday 100 uh, chart, as we said, returns. So uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's it's like this alternate universe uh, version of the Hot 100. It's the same uh, data points, the same metrics, uh, streaming, airplay, and sales. It's just for holiday songs only and holiday songs of all eras. 
in terms of new holiday songs over on the adult contemporary airplay chart, uh, this has become a tradition too. Uh, unlike uh, the holiday 100, uh, only new songs can chart uh, each year on the AC chart. So every year, uh, just about for the last, uh, go back to around the early 2000s, uh, there's a new holiday number one every year on the AC chart or, or more than one sometimes. Uh, so far this year, John Legend has the first one with his version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas featuring Esperanza Spaulding. So uh, number one for John Legend and Esperanza Spaulding. Katy Perry is actually uh, right behind at number two. So there's a chance that could even take over and become another uh, holiday airplay uh, AC number one next week. But yeah, uh, John Legend continuing that tradition of uh, new holiday songs. So uh, yeah, that always kind of... Uh, brings up a point uh, for people who follow holiday music and, and radio and kind of wonder, uh, why does radio just play uh, all the older uh, holiday songs? How come uh, every year you just, you know you're going to hear uh, all the Andy Williams stuff and Bing Crosby and Gene Autry and all these uh, songs that go decades back? Well, how about we uh, find out uh, more about that and talk to a couple experts at Nielsen, uh, Haley Jones and John Miller are going to bring them in. Talking about... Uh, all things related to holiday music, uh, why adult radio plays all that music. Obviously, ratings are a big part of that. Uh, do they start too early? I know sometimes it's a popular complaint uh, in stores that you hear holiday music, radio too. Well, why does it have to start? Uh, seems sometimes like right after summer ends. So we're going to get into that. Also, uh, how streaming has changed the holiday music landscape. Uh, used to be uh, radio was really the only place you could tell uh, what the most popular songs are by doing research that way. But streaming is a whole new way to see what people want to hear. So uh, we'll get into that as well. All things holiday music. Uh, it's that time of the season. So here's uh, Haley Jones and John Miller from Nielsen coming up on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be light From now on our troubles will be out of sight Haley Jones and John Miller Thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast Thank you for having me Thank you All right, there's a lot to get into in terms of uh, Adult radio and, and uh, feel like this is really the time of year when people are probably thinking about adult radio more because of uh, the holiday music and uh, seems to be true. It, uh, looking at uh, last holiday season and into this year, Nielsen uh, recently did a seminar about uh, AC radio and you pointed out that AC is at a high point 
right now in terms of uh, ratings, when you go back an entire decade, format's never been better uh, in terms of ratings than it is uh, right now. That's right. And you make that point about holiday music. Every year the holidays come around and AC stations and soft AC stations and others go to the Christmas format where you play the music. And we see these huge spikes in audience, huge interest, uh, huge impact, uh, especially in the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And last year was the best year we've ever seen for AC going holiday. So one of the things that I often sort of laugh about with Haley is uh, there seems to be like every year there's more appetite for holiday music, you know, and say what you want about certain holiday songs and ones you might find annoying and things like that. But <laughs> every year there's, there's more holiday songs streamed. There's more holiday songs listened to on the radio. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Do you think it's just uh, the momentum itself as it keeps getting bigger? It just uh, sort of, uh, no pun intended, snowballs. Great pun. <laughs> Great pun. I think it's some of that for sure. Um, but there's all kinds of stories. So each year when this happens, people in radio talk about it and people in music talk about it. And we hear a lot of the same sort of themes. You know, people want the holiday distraction and the world we live in today. And you want to click on your Christmas music. I mean, Haley, you were joking before we started the interview that you were going to listen to Christmas music to prep because... You know, Black Friday was the other day. It's time. Yep. It's time. Trying to get in the in the spirit of things, yes. Yeah, that's an interesting point, too, uh, pop culture-wise or, or society-wise. Uh, maybe in the last uh, last year or so, uh, maybe there is more of a need, more of a wanting for uh, something more comforting, uh, just in terms of uh, everything we're hearing uh, in the news cycle uh, every day. I I think that's absolutely true. Before John and I do these webinars, we always reach out to program directors just to get the temperature of the water. I mean, we want to make the webinars as useful as possible. So we always ask, like, what are your biggest challenges? Um, how can we help? And the thing I heard from almost every programmer in the AC calls getting prepared for that webinar in particular was um, they, they feel like the holiday music is an escape. And it's all about comfort like home-cooked food almost, right? It's going back to a time when things were simpler. And that's the feeling that they're trying to put across on the air, in between the the records, obviously. Well, there's a reason, Haley, that the top played, and I believe some of the top streamed holiday songs are all the classics. You know, Rocking yes. Around the Christmas Tree and the, and the, the stuff that's classic that... I listened to with my parents growing up. I listened to today with my kids. Yeah, it's the holiday okay. season. Right. Right. We're yep. actually, actually going to get into uh, some of the songs that are uh, being played the most and streamed the most and uh, actually some different lists there. And uh, are there some holiday hits that maybe radio could uh, take advantage of in terms of uh, how well they're streaming? Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is as AC ratings uh, do uh, continue to grow, uh, when you look at it in relation to uh, formats that it's related to, uh, mainstream top 40, pop, mm -hmm. And adult top 40, uh, adult pop uh, with uh, mainstream top 40, adult top 40, and AC kind of all related just uh, in terms of uh, one being a little uh, bit hotter than the other as we go from each one. Uh, what's interesting is if you look back, you guys uh, did some research over the past three years. If we, if we go back to uh, around this time of the year in 2015, mainstream top 40 was in the lead among adult top 40, mainstream top 40, and AC with uh, the two AC versions, uh, AC and hot AC. Uh, 
fairly distant uh, tied uh, after that. But if you go to this year, uh, now AC and Pop, they're pretty much tied uh, just about in first place and Hot AC is is uh, third. So basically, uh, AC has risen up to match top 40 pop ratings uh, in just three years. So what do you think is behind uh, just three years, which really isn't a, a long time when you look overall, that uh, AC has caught up to top 40 in terms of ratings? That's a good characterization. And Haley, I'll answer first. Uh, yeah, from a ratings trend standpoint, you're exactly correct. You know, what we call pop, CHR, that's the technical format name we use at Nielsen, but it's your it's your top 40. Uh, that format um, has been trending down somewhere like 15% down the last three or four years. Uh, AC has gone up. And you're exactly right. Uh, in some ranks, some demos, uh, AC ranks ahead now of, of pop, which was not the case for a long time. Um, so that's how the formats have, have moved in the past few years. And we were talking earlier about holiday, you know, so that record setting holiday we saw last year, the, the holiday 2017 uh, sort of springboarded AC into a great 2018. You know, this has been the best year for the format that we've seen in a long time. And Haley, you probably have some thoughts about the music cycle, but that's what we're seeing from a format standpoint around the country. Yeah, definitely. As far as the music cycle, I mean, AC radio has changed a lot, right? I mean, maybe 10 years ago, John, do you think that's when the change really started? Maybe a decade ago, maybe not even quite a decade ago, but it used to be more... Um, you know, Brian Adams and Phil Collins. And today, AC sounds a lot like a pop radio station, only they're not taking as many risks as pop radio is. So they're waiting till songs are already established hits before they start playing them. Um, so they really get to play the cream of the crop. They're not playing as many rhythmic records. So it's not quite as mm, divisive, maybe, as other formats might be. It's just the most mass appeal songs that they possibly can play. Um, it's become a lot more contemporary in, in the last few years. And I think that's part of its success. Um, and, you know, coincidentally, at the same time, pop is having some challenges because I, I personally think it's twofold. As more and more of those mass appeal records are shared uh, across other formats, I think it gives uh, listeners an opportunity to go maybe to AC to get their pop fill instead of getting it from a pop radio station. But also pop is still the format that's it's about new music. I mean, pop, we always call it top 40. I mean, and in the 70s, top 40 meant playing literally the the top 40 songs kind of over and over again. And, and um, you know, pop for better or worse hasn't necessarily embraced um, hip hop's evolution. I mean, hip hop you know, as far as consumption goes in the music world, really is making a significant impact. I mean, if you look at the streams so far this year, I think hip hop is like 40% of all streams. Now, that number that I'm throwing out, by the way, I should say, is, is from our mid-year report. So I'm curious to see what it ends up looking like at the year-end report, which is due out here in a few weeks. Um, um, but I suspect it's going to be significant. It's been significant for a few years. And pop isn't necessarily embracing that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that they should be embracing that. I don't know that they shouldn't be embracing that. But if pop's role is to play what's popular, um, then hip hop appears to be more popular um, than, than how pop radio is supporting it. I'll just say that. 
One of the uh, things uh, Haley, I noticed in terms of uh, the library, uh, it's being played at, at AC from some of the research you guys did. There's there's a lot of 80s. There's a lot of 2010s. Uh, am I right in saying that the 90s are maybe not quite as representative? And uh, yeah, maybe that's because the 80s were really melodic. 2010s have kind of gone back uh, in, in some level, whereas the 90s were a little more a little more guitar-based, maybe not. Uh, maybe it hasn't held up as well uh, nowadays as music is a little bit more synthesizer-driven like it was in the 80s. I think that's true. And, and pop music had a little bit of a better uh, pop music, a better decade for pop music was really the eighties versus the nineties. And, and the nineties have struggled across a lot of formats, not just um, pop and AC. I mean, I remember, you know, I, I'm a not so former programmer coming more from the alternative and AAA world and nineties music just, kind of had a rough time with a few exceptions, right? The exceptions being the Pearl Jam and Nirvanas of the world. But really, to get too deep into the 90s, the 90s just didn't resonate as much as, say, the 70s or 80s. And we see that in AC also. In the 90s in particular, you would think maybe, um, besides the urban records or the the rock-based records, I mean, a lot of pop that when people think, I guess, 90s pop is, is teen pop. And maybe, you know, it just has it has that a, a weird young sound that you almost can't escape even when, you know, we Brittany and, and Justin and everybody's grown up. There's still something about those particular records that that as they were crafted to be have a, a really teen appeal to them. True. It's interesting. I should go and I, it, it's an exercise I haven't done, but I'm kind of curious just to go compare 90s streaming numbers to 90s airplay numbers as far as pop and AC music goes. And that's an exercise I haven't done, but I'm curious. I feel like I'm really a student of, of the changing music world. And for me, John hears this all the time, but I'm always, uh, as streaming grows, as sales decline, um, I think there really are some pretty fascinating trends we can start to see. Um, as far as studying music that streams. Um, and there are a lot of surprises when we really start to compare radio. If you work in radio for a long time, I've done it too. I think you start to make these assumptions that, well, the 90s don't do well. They're, they're just one example. Well, so I'm not going to research a lot of those songs. And that may or may not be true. There are certainly some pop culture hits. I mean, that's something that we see in, in the streaming all the time. You know, radio gets used to, well, these songs work and these songs don't. And with pop culture hits, uh, I don't know, Eminem has a couple. Um, uh, and I'm having trouble grasping like a, a, a good 90s pop example at the moment. Um, yeah, actually, Backstreet Boys, probably a great pop example. Um, um, the, People assume, radio programmers assume that those songs don't really work on the radio. Yet when you look at the streaming numbers, they exponentially outperform um, how they're getting played on the radio. And that might be a good, sometimes it's songs that were never even singles to begin with. Songs that just were picked up in a commercial, songs that get played at basketball games or other sporting events. or um, And, um, you know, they stream millions of streams week after week after week after week. So I think that the streaming data really is good fodder for radio programmers to go back and sort of see, hey, are there some songs that we're missing? And I suspect we could find some in the 90s if, if we looked. 
Yeah, that's a tr uh, trend we keep coming back to. Uh, programmers being open-minded as uh, streaming is just a whole new avenue of research. We've talked to a lot of pop uh, programmers when it comes to uh, just because all these hip-hop hits are streaming so well, does that mean we should be playing them? Sounds like similar kind of thing for, for AC in terms of are there hits that maybe uh, years or decades ago we never would have considered playing, but as the format is playing more new uh, music and, and artists from this decade, yeah, maybe there are uh, things to freshen up AC that they never yeah. realized. I could not agree with you more. And I think AC programmers might have been a little uh, slower to really start studying those trends because they feel traditionally their audiences have been a little bit older than the pop audience. So, uh, again, the assumption there, and probably partially true, by the way, is that those audiences were a little bit slower to start using streaming uh, as opposed to their younger counterparts. They may have been, but the counterpoint to that is I think things are catching up. You know, the data that Absolutely. we see, right, from from your side of the Nielsen house, Haley, about streaming growth in markets, you know, and we're looking at smaller places. You know, streaming has been uh, used very heavily in, in big population areas for a while now, but we're noticing things like smaller markets. You know, the Des Moines, Iowa's of the world uh, are, you know, streaming is growing exponentially there. So things are catching up. You know, the yeah, abundance absolutely. of streaming, right, the abundance of audio, smart speakers, smartphones, cars, you know, the availability to everybody now, young, old, rural, urban, uh, of finding streaming and music is, is really unprecedented. Agree. I'm so lost without you I know you were right Believing for so recent trend that just uh, happened and kind of in a whole bunch and there's been uh, these stations around for a while but when you see sign-ons uh, in the same format all of a sudden in, in big markets uh, we feel like it's something to talk about uh, Chicago Detroit some other markets recently uh, just signed on uh, stations called Breeze which are really soft AC so this mm -hmm. isn't just uh, Taylor Swift and Adele and uh, Ed Sheeran where well you tell me what what artists are key but uh, what is this new sort of new uh, suddenly at least it's back in the spotlight this new Breeze format of soft AC? Who are the artists who are driving it? And, and why, do, again, do you think uh, it, it's all of a sudden uh, become a, sort of a new thing? Does it go back to that uh, comfort level that a lot of listeners are looking for? I'll I'll start with some with explaining some of the artists and Jonna I want you to jump in here too mm -hmm. um, on the ratings part. Um, some mm -hmm. of the core artists, by the way, re remember earlier we were we were saying that we felt like AC had changed and become a lot more contemporary. I really think these soft AC stations are um, somewhat of a flashback to how AC was um, more holy bef before they started making these changes. So core artists on a soft AC station today. Uh, Phil Collins, Billy Joel, Whitney Houston, Madonna, Michael Jackson, Air Supply, um, Adele might still be a part of that, um, Elton John, Chicago, those kinds of artists, just those older music, Lionel Richie or Foreigner or Brian Adams, I think is the artist that, that I brought up earlier. It's 0% new music um, and all old music, whereas um, the more contemporary AC stations are playing, you know, 10, 15% new music these days. Um, so they're still, they're both gold based really. Um, but you're, you're not getting new songs on the breeze. 
And this, so uh, we call that the soft AC format. That's how we identify it at Nielsen. So it's different, you know, from just AC. But the soft AC format, while small, is growing. As you mentioned, there's new sign-ons happening right now, um, kind of going more towards that throwback sound that Haley was just describing. But from an audience standpoint, what's really interesting about soft AC stations is they definitely skew older. They skew significantly older than hot AC and somewhat older than AC. Um, and so there's that to consider, too, in, in the long run. I was reading a really great column just now by Fred Jacobs uh, about the demographic cliff, you know, and it seems like every major radio format goes through this every couple of years. You know, Classic Rock talks about it and Classic Hits talks about it, you know, being being over the 54-year-old cliff and the media buys and all that stuff. Uh, so what's really interesting about Soft AC is, you know, owners are getting behind it. Radio broadcasters are putting it on in major markets. Um, it's starting to get ratings. So we'll see. You know, we'll see over time. Does that change the audience or is it appealing to the people that are 65 plus and 55 plus? Um, and then down the road, you know, what happens to that from a sales perspective? Can you monetize that? And that's a whole other discussion for another podcast. I won't go there today. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but that's what's really that's what's really interesting about watching soft AC come on. And I'll use one. I just want to jump in and use one market as an example here. Um, San Francisco, just because that's where I am and that's sort of home base for me. Um, You know, we have a legendary adult contemporary station here that's just done well for many, many, you know, over 20 years um, called Coit. And Coit is today more contemporary AC, um, um, you know, uh, still a pretty conservative AC, if you will. But we they have a new competitor. Um, iHeart signed on uh, KISQ, which really does fit into this soft AC mold that we're talking about, and it's done really well. In some cases, it's even beat quite. I don't. I won't say it's beat quite consistently, but it's definitely giving a quite a run for the money. So, and by the way, it's doing that a, a, even in the twenty five fifty four sort of all important demo um, that advertisers are buying. So, I suspect you know. The, the radio community always studying what does well across the country that that KISQ has certainly been um, one of the stations that they're following. I think part of it is uh, this music has just been absent from radio for so long. It's uh, mainstream AC wasn't playing air supply and stuff like that. And uh, classic hit stations, it was just considered a little too soft. So I'm sure it's benefiting from uh, people here, you know, Christopher Cross and, and stuff like that in the radio. And after so long, I mean, these are great songs that they still are. It sounds really fresh. I'm sure it's uh, kind of perking people's ears when they hear these songs for the first time in a long time on radio. Yeah, radio goes through this classic hip hop was a thing, is still a thing, is still played, right? That started five, six years ago. Yeah, it's the cyclical nature of it. If there's a hole, if there's music that's not being consumed, is there an opportunity there for radio? And and Haley, you know, it's, it's the thing we were talking about a few minutes ago about, you know, how do these songs stream versus how are they played? I think there's some very interesting things to be learned over the next year as these stations start playing this. And then we watch, is that affecting the streaming consumption? I don't know. Right. Very interesting right. watch. Well, you know, if history repeats itself, and it usually does, we we see cases where radio really does drive streaming, but also a few cases where streaming drives radio. So we see both. So I suspect that you'll see air supply, you know, as an as an example, streams go up in these markets where these new breed stations are signing on. 
And a lot of these acts still tour really well, too. Air Supply is touring. Billy Joel, obviously, when he plays uh, Madison Square Garden. So uh, clearly there's an appeal for them. So it doesn't seem like maybe it's the biggest risk to, uh, to have that on the radio. Good point. Mm-hmm. And to my comment earlier, you know, just because people are above the age of 55 doesn't mean <laughs> they don't have money to spend and alpha boomers and that whole thing. The wealthiest generation in the history of humanity is that generation. So whenever we hear that thing about can you monetize it and should you put a format on that specifically goes after, you know, the older audience, what does that mean for your sales? There's always those things to consider, too. Santa, tell me if you're really All right, you're talking about uh, holiday songs and uh, what radio plays and what radio doesn't play and what's streaming and uh, saying how holiday music, you know, really all about comfort and and, uh, that family tradition of hearing the same songs that previous generations heard. But uh, you guys have looked into uh, holiday hits that are played the most versus what are streamed the most. You came up with some interesting cases of uh, seems like there are some big holiday streaming hits that radio probably uh, could be playing and really not that surprising Uh, when you look at their album sales how big uh, acts like pentatonix have been uh, ariana grande certainly there are some new holiday hits out there that might uh, wind up making their way over to radio uh, considering how well they're streaming i think that's absolutely true and i think as more and more programmers really do start to embrace the streaming data we'll see a, a shift i think we'll see a shift this year um, you mentioned Pentatonix. Pentatonix is definitely probably the biggest story just because they have multiple songs that really outperform in streaming versus how they get played on the radio. But uh, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber has a holiday record. Um, Sia, um, uh, a song, Santa's Coming for Us, that does extraordinarily well. Um, you know, the the streaming, the holiday streaming period really is, six weeks, five weeks, six weeks long. Um, So when you start to see, you know, 25 million (laughs) streams nationally across a six week period, I really think that's something to pay attention to. But also worth noting when we're looking at streaming, I always find this interesting and I didn't talk about this in the webinar, but um, when you look at the most streamed holiday song last year, um, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. Now, this is a song that does really well on the radio, too. But I just want to point out, it had uh, a hun- over, well, almost 141 million streams in that five-week period last year versus song number two, as far as streaming, which is Brenda Lee, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, which had 60 million. So, um, it, you know, um I just think Mariah Carey, it's interesting to me that that song is so strong in streaming. There's a big gap. There's a big gap. There's a big gap, but also um, Jose Feliciano uh, is the most played holiday song. And when I look at this, I'm like, how could that radio should definitely play Mariah Carey more (laughs) when you're talking about 141 million streams in a five week period. I just think it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, you're looking at uh, Pentatonix Hallelujah streams really well, but doesn't get a lot of radio play. Uh, 
Pentatonix, Mary Did You Know, O Come Out You Faithful. Uh, we mentioned Ariana Grande, Santa Tell Me, uh, Bieber's uh, Mistletoe. It was one of them. We mentioned the Sia song. That was interesting in your list of uh, biggest streaming hits for the holidays. Maybe radio is missing a couple of real, real uh, classics that, yeah, maybe uh, could, uh, maybe uh, you hear them on radio, but maybe uh, looking at the streams could be even bigger. Uh, Eartha Kitt, Santa Baby. And Chuck Berry, uh, run Rudolph, run those. Uh, those are going back uh, you know, more than more than a couple of generations. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, I love to see Chuck Berry doing so well in streaming, and I personally wouldn't mind hearing it more on the radio. But I think people hear that more as that rock sound, and again, make assumptions that that song. You know, it's getting some airplay. So you can see the radio rank was like seventy seventh of all songs. Um, but that's a huge difference compared to the streaming rank. Do you think that sort of going back to the question of assumptions and escapism, uh, do you think in particular when we're looking at some of these songs that especially in the past recent years have been big hits with the Pentatonix, the Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, do you think there's a bias there that some programmers may think, you know, you've got to sort of walk this line between, as we mentioned, people want to hear the classics, the the Brenda Lee's, the songs they've heard that really get them into the holiday spirit. But, you know, on one hand, you may think, well, if I'm going to play Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber, people can just hear that on top 40 all the time. They don't want to hear that at this point of year. So do you think that that sort of works against some of these new songs in that way that these artists are still major top 40 forces? Yes. When it comes to holiday music, I think you're probably right. I mean, listen, if you're a radio programmer, a lot of their playlists all year long is very well researched, right? I mean, I don't know many or any stations that actually have a budget to go and research their holiday music, just because, again, it's on the air for five or six weeks. Um, and, and it's not probably their primary focus, or, or maybe they had a budget to go research these holiday titles, you know, five to 10 years ago, and they're still um, sort of getting their money's worth out of that, that test that they did so long ago. Um, and, you know, add to that, that I feel like a lot of, especially AC programmers, weren't necessarily using the streaming data and using that as a tool in making their programming decisions. But I feel like that's shifting. I mean, it's been shifting slowly. Um, but I feel like as the streaming numbers continue to grow exponentially um, and, and things like the webinars, I think, help. And, and hopefully more and more programmers are starting to take this data into consideration um, that we're going to see that change. That That's my thought. Maybe that's Maybe I'm overly optimistic, um, but I just feel like based on the sheer tonnage of the streaming numbers, it's impossible to ignore. There's a place for both. Yeah, Haley, I'm sitting right. here listening to you talk. I'm looking at um, there's, a, there's a screen we did. It was an era map where, you know, across the bottom of the page is the years. Uh, and so it shows you, you know, what what years the songs are made and how much mm. they're played. And there's a spike in the 50s and 60s. That's the classics. Uh, but there's a lot of action in the 90s and today. So going back to your question, that there's, you know, the streaming data says there's room for both. And that's where I think the weakness of a programmer and a station and each holiday station has its own kind of thing going on. You know, they're going to figure out what, what works for them, the right mix, you know, how much classic versus new. So that's part of the beauty of programming it. 
I think what's interesting about holiday music on AC is it maybe the the format, at least for, for those six weeks or so, where there's just the greatest established competition of maybe any radio format at all, because you're going from uh, you know, Gala PV, uh, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, to something brand new by, by Pentatonix or Ariana Grande. You're dealing with just uh, you know seven, eight, nine decades of music. So to get in there for new music, you're kind of facing more competition than you would maybe on any other radio formats, which makes it really fun to listen to. You can go from you know, a song from, from the 20s to, uh, to to 90 years later, but it's 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 almost like, like a Hall of Fame induction. How do you possibly put a brand new song up against something that's been established for you know, over 75 years? A good point. Very good point. One more question that always comes up because it seems like yeah, p- people generally like to complain about uh, – Everything holiday related starts too early, whether it's as soon as we get past Labor Day, we're hearing about Christmas and uh, radio uh, starts playing holiday music now before Thanksgiving. Sometimes even as early as September, we hear about the first sign ons in in certain markets, although it's it's really more once we get into November. But uh, for the people who wonder, why does radio play holiday music a month so early before uh, Christmas? Ratings prove it, that people do want to hear it, right? They wouldn't be doing this if, if listeners didn't say, yeah, we want to be hearing this. We're ready for it. They do. And what the data says is that the window for bringing in new audience, you know, we call it the QM window, uh, that's basically Thanksgiving to Christmas. So people go earlier than Thanksgiving, and that's great, and that's fine. And stations have reasons for doing that. You know, they have the brand of it. They stunt it, whatever you want to say. Uh, but the growth that we see is generally between Thanksgiving and Christmas day. And what I mean by that is on December 26th, uh, the number is much lower, right? It is people want their holiday music up until and on (laughs) Christmas day. And then, you know, we all shift and go back into new things, (laughs) but that's what the data says over time. All right. We're still in early December. So if you're already tired of Christmas music, you still, you got to pace yourself. You still got, uh, you got a couple weeks to go. Plenty yeah, got a couple weeks <laughs> to go. <laughs> well, this is great. Uh, Haley, yeah. John, thank you so much. Love to have you guys back on uh, going forward. I know you do different formats uh, throughout the year. It's not always just uh, AC. You do cover uh, pretty much every uh, format. So as, as you do more of this, uh, I'd love to have you back on, uh, give other insights uh, about all things radio and streaming and uh, how it relates to the charts. Happy holidays. Happy, happy holiday music. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Nights are getting shorter now, hot chocolate. Fills the air and Christmas cheer does too. Pick him out your Christmas tree so lovely. The joy this time it brings to you. Oh, oh, oh. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Hot 100 Song of the Year for 2018, which is Drake's God's Plan. Once again, if you missed that, we're going to focus exclusively on that category for the next two weeks. We're going to look at all the Hot 100 number ones for the year, going way back to the 50s. So next week, join us. We'll walk through the uh, little bit of the 50s that we have and the 60s, 70s, and 80s going through each year and the song that topped the year-end chart. Yeah, and it can be sort of an element of, uh, it could be a little fluky, maybe just a one-hit wonder, uh, just came out and had the biggest song of a year. But uh, Beach Boys are on this list, Beatles, uh, Wings as well, so McCartney uh, each way, uh, The Police, Prince, uh, Wham, and George Michael. Uh, To your point that some of these artists 
maybe only were hot for for one moment in their career, but when they were hot, they were on fire. So uh, yeah, uh, some some really huge uh, songs and big artists as well. And uh, we're gonna have a special guest too, uh, not in that one hit wonder category, a band that had. Uh, had so many uh, hits over the years, multiple number ones. They had a number one song of the year. We're going to talk to the lead singer of the band when that song uh, hit number one. And it's kind of interesting. We're saying it's not Paul McCartney. So don't, you know, uh, we were uh, talking about it. We, uh, we already chatted the interview and uh, he said, we were talking to Beyonce. I said, he, damn, damn. Uh, We were talking and he said, uh, he was kind of surprised at how big it was because driving around, he never heard the song. He, He didn't, Talk, we're talking to Paul Simon. He, he was surprised it was a number one song, and, and even more so to be the number one song of of the year uh, that it led. So we're talking uh, to Sting. You'll have to listen next week to find out. Uh, Gary. All right. Well, we'll see you then. Uh, be sure to join us next week. Enjoy the week, everybody. And as always, we have to close with a what's an appropriate song well, I, to I, wrap this up. With. Yeah, I, I thought here's a song that kind of ties in a lot of different things we've been talking about this week. And, and something uh, we talk about all the time. So uh, Mariah was our, our focus last week. We did uh, Mariah Carey's 20 Biggest Hot 100 Hits. I always stand for Mariah. You, Whitney Houston. So remember, 20 years ago, there was a hit, When You Believe, that combined Mariah and Whitney, uh, vocal talents. I think we both know who sang it better. Uh, there is no discussion uh, to be had at all. But the uh, song's actually back on Billboard's charts uh, via a remake. And one of the acts that we were talking about before, Pentatonix, they have remade When You Believe with Marin Morris. So c- kind of a kind of a daunting uh, thing to try to take on what Whitney and Mariah did. But Pentatonix, obviously known for their vocals, uh, they can handle it on the Billboard Charpy Podcast. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gays wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.